0: Today I'm continuing a series that I started a month ago talking about humility. You know the Bible has a lot to say about humility and sad to say it's not popular today and uh, our whole culture is against this. It is all self-promoting, it's all about yourself. I've sometimes characterized the American dream as it's just get all you can, can all you get and then you sit on your can. It's all about you. And I tell you, there, the things that God's Word has to say about humility needs to be shared. The Bible says in Romans 10:17 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And, you know, if you take that and just rephrase it a little and don't change a single word, it says faith comes by hearing and hearing, and then you could say and hearing. You need to hear things over and over and over. You know, I heard a story about a preacher that applied for a job at a church and anyway he got up and preached on John 3:16, and everybody just thought it was awesome and so they voted him in as the pastor and then his very first week as the pastor of the church he preached on John 3:16 again the same message and people thought well this is strange he must have forgotten what he preached but nobody said anything they thought it was good so they let it go Then the next week he preached on John 3.16 again and people began to be agitated and they said, if he does this again, we're going to say something. The fourth week he preached on John 3.16, the exact same message. So finally some of the people in the church came to the elders and said, you got to go talk to the pastor. So they went and talked to him and they said, pastor, you've preached here four times now and every single sermon has been the exact same thing. You're preaching on John 3.16 every week. We want something else. And he says, I tell you what, when you start living John 3, 16, then I'll preach something else. (laughs) Well, I thought that was powerful. And you know what? If we were to just go on to other truths once we get something and once it starts working in our life and only then do we move on, I guarantee you we could camp out on some of the things that I've taught and minister on them forever. The sad fact is that there's a lot of people that they just hunger for knowledge. They want to know more, but they aren't utilizing what they've got. And I really believe that this area of humility is one of those areas that a lot of Christians know we're supposed to walk in humility with God. They know many of the scriptures that I've been using, and yet they don't live it. And so it just needs to be said over and over and over. When we start walking humbly with our God, and seeing all of the benefits that come through humility, well then praise God, we'll move on to something else. Let me go back to some of the very first scriptures that I started this whole series with. I'm entitled this series, Humility, God's Path to More Grace. And this is based on James 4, verse 6. It says, but he giveth more grace. So if God gives more grace, there must be varying degrees of grace. Everybody has the grace of God that brings salvation that has appeared unto them, Titus 2:11. But then you can get more grace. You can operate more of God's ability. And he, said, he goes on to say in James 4, 6, Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Humble yourselves therefore to God, or excuse me, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, which is basically talking about the same thing. Humility is submission. A person who is not submitted to authority and that is just always rebellious and stuff is not a humble person. So submit yourselves or humble yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You know, there's a parallel verse over in Psalms 138 verse 6 that says that the proud God knows afar off. If you are trying to draw nigh to God, you can't get nigh to God without humbling yourself. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, the proud he knows afar off. And he goes on to say, "Be afflicted and mourn and weep. let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. You have to humble yourself. If it's done to you, it's not humility, it's humiliation. Humility is voluntary and it's something that you have to do in the sight of the Lord. It doesn't matter what our culture says and what standards they have. We need to go by what the Word of God says. And I have used literally hundreds and hundreds of scriptures to teach on this subject of humility. And we need to operate in humility as the Word of God teaches it. In verse 11, it says, "'Speak not evil one of another.'" And let me just point out that this is still talking about humility. Humility is not rude. It's not vulgar. It's not unkind. You know, I believe that humility is a part of God's kind of love. And you could turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 where, you know, many people call that the love chapter. And you could look at all of the characteristics that it lists of love in Luke 13, 4, I mean, excuse me, in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, you could look at all of those characteristics and those same things apply to humility. And one of the characteristics there is it says love, God's kind of love is kind. Did you know that true humility is kind to people? And as, that's what this is talking about here in James 4:11. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? Did you know that you could combine this With Romans chapter 12 where Jesus, uh, well, it was uh, Paul speaking, but he was speaking for the Lord. And he was saying that vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. I will repay. Don't repay evil with evil, but rather give good to those who are doing this. All of this is talking about humility. That you are not the judge. You do not have to defend yourself. God will take care of you if you will humble yourself, if you will submit yourself, if you will quit speaking evil one of another, and if you will quit taking matters into your own hand and turn it over to God and trust God, God will defend you. I wished I had the time today to tell you some of the uh, stories in my life on this, but you know I've had a lot of people criticize me. I've had people brand me as the slickest cult Uh, Since Jim Jones, they've told people in their church to burn their materials, that I'm a cult and things like this. And, you know, I have just loved those people. I've sent them money when they were in trouble and needed money. I'd go ahead and send to them because, you know, they never came and talked to me about it. And so I really didn't have an opportunity to interact with them over it. But I just kept loving them. And just like this says, I didn't speak evil of them. I have never spoken against this person when they were in a building program and needed money. I sent money. I've helped them. I've ministered with them. I've been to their meetings. And I just kept loving them. And it's now been over 20-something years. But did you know I was on a television program with them? We were both being interviewed on one of these talk shows, television programs. And we were both together And this person just came up to me and told me that they watch me every day on television and that they love it. And over a couple of years, we appeared on a number of different television programs together. We became friends. They've given me their number, and I've given them my number. They've come and ministered in our Bible college. They would like Jamie and me to come and stay in their home. And they just want to spend time with us, and they have blessed me and said all of these great things. And... I I don't know what's happening, but I'm telling you that just like this, if you don't become a judge, if you just keep loving people, you know what? God will defend you. Now you resist the devil, you can stand against the devil, you can get mad at the devil, you can get mad at the unjust things that are being said and done, and you can take it out on the devil, you can rebuke the devil, tell the devil where to go. But as it says in Ephesians chapter 6, you aren't fighting flesh and blood people aren't your problem. I know lots of times people think that they are but really it's just the devil that uses people. It's the flesh and you know because I've seen things this way and this is not an isolated example that I've given today I have done this literally. I, I, I'm sure I could say dozens maybe uh, you know fifty or a hundred times with people that have come out against me and because I've got this attitude And stuff. It keeps me from taking things personally. I recognize that the devil is the one who's coming against me. He may use people, but those people, they could have been misinformed. Who knows why they do what they do. I don't even know why I do what I do sometimes, much less trying to figure out why everybody else does things. You know, let me turn over to this verse in Matthew chapter 7. This is a passage that I think is often misused and misapplied. But Jesus was speaking in what's commonly called the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew chapter 7 verse 1, he says, Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And people take this to say that you shouldn't judge anybody. And they will often take from that and apply it in such a way that you shouldn't even have an opinion. There is no right. There is no wrong. Don't you tell anybody what's right and wrong. And this violates scripture. Matter of fact, uh, the Lord told His people, He says, Judge yourselves about what I'm thinking. Matter of fact, in the book of Revelation in chapter 2, the Lord came out against many of those pastors of these seven churches of Asia, and He says, I am going to cast you into tribulation because you have people in your church that are doing things and you did not judge them. You did not correct them. It is wrong to say that you cannot judge. The scripture says we have to judge. You know, uh, Peter, when he was taken by the chief priest and told that he couldn't preach anymore in the name of the Lord, he says you judge yourself. I think this is Acts chapter 3, either Acts chapter 3 or Acts chapter 4. And he says, you judge yourself, which is right. Should we obey God or man? And you have to make a judgment. You know, in our society today, we've got the Supreme Court ruling that homosexual marriage is okay. And there's Christians that will sit there and say, don't judge. You shouldn't judge anybody. You need to judge that homosexuality is wrong. The scripture teaches that. This is not saying do not judge. It says judge not that you be not judged." And then it goes on to say, "...for with what judgment you judge you shall be judged." You can't live without making judgments and yet people sometimes will just pull this out and say, well you shouldn't make a judgment. You shouldn't judge whether homosexuality is right or wrong. You shouldn't judge whether lying or stealing is right or wrong. Uh, And you have to judge those kind of things. This isn't saying don't judge, it says don't judge in a way that you don't want to be judged. And then look at this, it says, For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged, and with what measure you meet, it shall be measured unto you. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast the mote, out of thy brother's eye. Again, this isn't saying that you don't judge. You have to be able to judge, but you have to be merciful in your judgment. And one of the points that he makes is don't judge other people and sit there and critique them when you yourself have problems that are infinitely worse than theirs. And here's one of the ways that I apply this. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 10, only by pride comes contention. The only thing that makes strife, contention work in your life is what's inside of you and it's your pride that you are only looking at things from your viewpoint and not at another person's uh, perspective. And so one of the ways that you apply these scriptures in Matthew chapter 7 is when a person does something to you, you know what, it's not wrong. For If a person insults you, if they say something that's demeaning or mad to you, It is not wrong for you to say, I don't like what you said. I don't like the way you said it. I don't like what you're inferring. None of those things are wrong to do that. But where you get into judging is when you say, the reason you did this is because you don't love me. Because you always criticize me. And you know, we often just go way, way, way to an extreme. You know, I had an opportunity... Uh, yesterday, to put this exact same thing into place, I had somebody that if I say go east, they say, no, you got to go west. They're just going to disagree with me regardless of anything that I say. And I came that close to just telling them that, you know what, you never agree with me, and that would have been wrong. It's not that, like they're always against me, but they disagree with me more than I'd like them to. And anyway, I just came that close, and I, rem- I caught myself because I said, you know, it's not true. This is the way I feel at times, but it's not true that this person always disagrees with me. And the point that I'm making is you can sit there, and it wouldn't be wrong to go to a person and say, you know what, regardless of what I say, it seems like you uh, always take the opposite path. I don't like that. That's not wrong. But where you get into judging and where you get into error is when you start in implying why they do what they do. The reason you do this, the reason you always disagree with me is because you don't love me, you don't respect me, you and you start doing this. Now see that is judging. You don't know why people do what they do. They don't know why they do what they do. Sometimes people do things because they had a bad night's sleep because somebody else has criticized them and they got a chip on their shoulder that day. It's not wrong to go to a person and say, what you've said offended me, it bothered me. It's not wrong to go and say that and can we work it out. Matter of fact, I believe that that's a godly thing to do. But where it gets into judging and where it's wrong is when we say, you did this because, and then you start attributing blame to them. One of the things that totally diffuses anger is if you see the other person's Side of what's going on, and I've already given a number of examples of this of people that their marriage was just in terrible situation, and according to most people's standard, they had every right for divorce. Matter of fact, uh, I was being interviewed one time on a television program over the rate over the um, telephone. I guess it was a radio program. The guy is on television, but it was his radio program, and he was interviewing me over the telephone and he was asking about forgiveness and and examples of it and I gave this example of a woman who had forgiven her husband for beating her and beating the kids threatening to kill them and I ministered to her and she began to start praying for him and looking at his side of the story and instead of divorcing him she wound up loving him and God preserved the marriage and kept them together and I was telling this story And the man stopped right in the middle of it, and he says, we can't use that. He says, I am not going to put this on. This is telling people that are in abusive relationships to stay there and that this could cost somebody their life or something like that. And so anyway, he threw the whole thing out. And I told him, I said, well, you can do what you want to. I'm not advocating that everybody stay in an abusive marriage. I'm just saying that this is how this woman was able to get through this terrible situation is because she quit looking at things just from her side, how she was being hurt, how her children were being hurt. And she began to start saying, why is he doing this? And when she looked at things from the other person's standpoint, She actually fell in love with her husband. He got born again. He got saved. And then they started having problems because he wanted to go to Bible college and become a pastor. And she didn't want to be a pastor's wife. And I'm telling you, one of the keys to that whole thing was that she didn't just look at what was happening to her. She looked at the person who was giving her this problem and saying, why are they the way that they are? And when she did that, it just diffused anger. Again, I go back to Proverbs 13:10. Only by pride cometh contention. It didn't say it's one of the leading causes. It's the only way that anger comes, contention, is through pride. It is not what people are doing to you that's the problem. It's what's inside of you and the fact that you just take everything and you are thinking only about yourself. And look what this person did to me. And you don't ever consider maybe the person is hurt. You know, it's a true statement that hurt people hurt people. And people, if they're angry and bitter, there's a reason that they're that way. And if instead, if you just taking everything so personal and think that people are against you, if you would look beyond that and say, why are they doing what they're doing? It would help you to minister unto them. You know, as a minister, I have a lot of people criticize me. I've got blogs written about me. I have a lot of people come up and say a lot of really rotten things to me. And... um, And anyway, one of the ways that I've learned to deal with this is I don't take it personally. I know that it's not really those people that hate me and are against me, it's because I'm speaking for the Lord and they've got a chip on their shoulder against the Lord. And you know, I've just gotten to where sometimes I've had people come up, and especially when I teach on things like that God is not the one who killed this person, God is not the one who did this, God isn't guilty for causing the problems in your life. I have some religious people come up at me and say some really rotten things. And I've just learned that it's because somewhere in their life they had a tragedy. Like I'm thinking of one person right now that he was very close to his sister when they were little kids. His sister died as a child. And he was told by the Presbyterian church that it was God that did this, that it was God's will that his little sister died. And as a result... He just said, If there is a God, I hate him. And so she, he has a hatred for God and anybody who represents and stands for God because of the wrong teaching. And I've just seen things like this so many times that now when people come out against me, instead of me taking it personally, I think, What is it in their background? They've had some experience that made them so angry against God, so bitter. And because of that, I'm able to just, instead of me responding in anger and saying something to them, I can respond in love. And there have been many times that I've been able to penetrate the wall, the hurt, the pain that these people are operating through and minister to them. And I've been able to establish a relationship and win people over because I was able to look beyond what they're saying about me and say, why are they doing this? What has caused them to be this way? I'M TELLING YOU, IF YOU GET OUT OF YOURSELF AND QUIT THINKING ABOUT JUST WHAT PEOPLE ARE DOING TO YOU AND YOU GO TO SAYING, OH, FATHER, I KNOW YOU LOVE THIS PERSON. WHY IS THIS PERSON SO BITTER? WHY IS THIS PERSON SO MEAN? WHY ARE THEY SO ANGRY? AND IF YOU WOULD DO THAT, IT'S JUST LIKE PROVERBS 13.10 SAYS, ONLY BY PRIDE COMES CONTENTION. IF SOMEBODY IS ANGRY AT YOU FOR PREACHING THE GOSPEL AND SPEAKING THE TRUTH AND STUFF LIKE THIS, primarily it's because you said something that hit a nerve with them and they are retaliating. You know, it's like if you go into court and if you have a witness give damaging testimony against the defendant, you know what the uh, defendant's lawyer will do? He will come in and try and discredit you they will tear you down. If you've got any hidden skeletons in your background, if you've ever perjured yourself, if you've ever lied, if you've ever done anything, they will do everything they can to discredit you. And you know why? Because your testimony is damaging to their defendant. And unless they can discredit you, then your testimony could send their defendant to jail, could cause a guilty verdict. So what they'll try and do is discredit you. And I think all of us understand that. And it may not be personal. They don't really hate you, but they hate that testimony and what it's going to do to their client. Well, likewise, when you are speaking the Word of God and if you speak some truth, people will come out and they will attack you viciously and it's because they're trying to discredit you. If they can discredit you, if they can get you into anger, if they can get you to where you're responding carnally and being as mean and nasty as they are, then what that does, it just takes away the power of your testimony. But if you continue to walk in love and stuff and don't get down there and get dirty and mean and get down in the trenches and sling mud the way that they're doing with you, you know what? Your testimony still is affecting them. It's like when you throw a rock into a pack of dogs. The one that yelped the loudest got hit. If somebody is really coming out against you, and I'm talking about for the gospel's sake, because you've stood up for the word, it's because the words that you've spoken convicted them. And that's the reason they're fighting against this. And it helps you to all of a sudden realize that they aren't against me. They are convicted by what I've said. And so they're trying to discredit the testimony, my witness, so that they can avoid the conviction that's coming their way. I'm telling you, that that is a tremendous piece of information right there and it has really allowed me to cope with all the criticism and stuff that comes against me. And it goes back and it confirms Proverbs 13, 10 only by pride, only by looking at things just from my selfish standpoint. That's the only way that anger comes. If I look at other people and recognize that, man, we all have all of these problems, we've had so many hurts and stuff and many people are just speaking out of hurt they're speaking from experiences that they've had, and when I can look at the other person's side of the story, it just diffuses anger in my life. And I can truthfully say I am not angry at a single person in this universe. I'm not mad, I don't have any unforgiveness towards people, you know, if you have unforgiveness, this goes along with what I was saying about judge not that you be not judged. And we read these verses out of James chapter 4 about not speaking evil. If you speak evil of another person, then you become a judge. When you understand how much you have been forgiven, let me use these passages out of Matthew chapter 18. This is where Jesus gave this parable about a man who owed the equivalent of like $10,000 or or $10 million. I I don't have those figures in front of me. It's using talents here in Matthew chapter 18. But anyway, this one man owed a huge sum to his master. His master called him in and told him he had to pay up and he said, I don't have the money and the master said, throw him into jail until he's, you know, paid back all of this money. And the man fell down at his feet and begged him for mercy. And the master had mercy on him and forgave him the debt and let him go and just forgave it. Didn't decrease it, he just totally forgave it. And yet that man left his master and went out and found somebody that owed him like $10 and he demanded that the man pay him back the money. And the man did the exact same thing, fell down and asked for mercy and he says, nope, he wouldn't give him any mercy and he threw him into prison. And so the master called him back and in Matthew 18 32, it says, Then his Lord, after he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And because this man didn't forgive, he says, I'm I'm throwing you back in jail and I am going to reinstitute this $10 million debt until you pay the whole thing. And the Lord said, that's the way that we'll be treated if we don't forgive other people. If you truly understood how much you have been forgiven, if you were to humble yourself and receive the grace of God, it causes you to be gracious unto other people. If we could ever look at things from God's standpoint, did you know that God has forgiven us a huge debt? and some of you may think, oh, I was really a pretty good person. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not a one of us that deserves salvation. Nobody. You know, I've lived a holier life relative to other people than most people have, and yet I guarantee you, who wants to be the best sinner that ever went to hell? I deserve to go to hell. I deserve, if I was just to get what I deserve, I DON'T DESERVE ANY GOOD THING FROM GOD. ALL I DESERVE IS JUDGMENT. AND BECAUSE I'VE UNDERSTOOD THAT, DID YOU KNOW WHAT? AND I'VE RECEIVED THAT AND HUMBLED MYSELF AND RECEIVED SALVATION AS A GIFT, NOT SOMETHING THAT I DESERVE AND EARN. IT HELPS ME TO BE GRACIOUS AND MERCIFUL TO OTHER PEOPLE. BUT PEOPLE WHO ARE UNFORGIVING AND HARSH AND HARD AND DEMAND ALL OF THESE THINGS FROM OTHER PEOPLE, These are people that have not understood how much they've been forgiven. Relative to what God has forgiven us, there is nobody who has done anything to you or me that even comes close to what we have done to God. And if you were to receive that love, it would enable you to turn around and give it to other people. But you can't give away what you've not received yourself. And most of us do not really have a full revelation of how much God's forgiven us, you know the scripture in Luke 7:47. Jesus said, "Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little." This is taken about the talking about the woman who had come and uh, was taken in the act of adultery, and they wanted to stone her, and yet Jesus let her go. And then she came and fell at his feet, and she washed his feet with her tears and dried his feet with her hair. And the religious Pharisees said if this man was really a prophet, he would know that this woman is a sinner, and he would reject her, and he knew what they were thinking. And so this is when he turned around and he says, even though she's got great sins. See, he didn't deny that she had sins, but he looked beyond that, and he says, this woman has been forgiven a lot, and therefore she loves a lot. But to whom little has been forgiven, you know, the same loveth little. Like I said before, I've lived a relative holy life compared to most people and some people who think, well, you just can't love God as much as the person who's committed adultery or murder or something has been forgiven of that. But the difference is, I have a revelation of how much God's forgiven me. And I believe that my revelation of God's love towards me, His grace towards me, is greater than what most people have had. See, all of this goes along with humility. A person who is promoting their own goodness and is saying that, God, I know why you love me. It's because I'm so awesome. I'm so lovable. Then you know what? You hadn't really understood the grace of God. You haven't really humbled yourself. You are thinking somehow or another you are deserving of God's goodness. And whether you realize it or not, that's pride. Pride. That is you exalting yourself, thinking somehow or another God chose you because you were just a feather in His cap. He could not live without you. That's not true. And when you humble yourself and you receive this great... When you recognize how great God's forgiveness is towards you, then you will love not only Him but other people much. And if you are a person who is not merciful and you are not loving and you are not kind... To other people. You may justify it and look at it some different way, but the bottom line is you still haven't understood how unworthy of salvation you are. You aren't understanding this huge debt that you have been forgiven of, like this example I gave in Matthew chapter 18. And so you're harsh on other people that owe you a relative uh, pittance compared to what God has forgiven you of. And you are exalting yourself and putting yourself in a position of a judge and condemning other people all because of pride. And I know that most people don't look at it this way and they don't see it as pride. They think, no, you don't know what this person did to me. Again, I go back to Proverbs 13 10 only by pride cometh contention. It is not what other people do to you that makes you angry, but it's what's on the inside of you. Pride. Your self-centeredness, you being so alive to yourself, so committed to yourself, that makes you angry. If you were not all committed to yourself the way that most of us have been taught is the way that we should live, if you were to put God and His kingdom and other people ahead of yourself, you could get to a place where it doesn't matter so much about what happens to you. You know, John the Baptist is a great example of this because John the Baptist, he spent 30-something years just getting prepared for ministry. Then in six months' time, he called out and preached and saw not only the nation of Israel, but all the surrounding nations turn to the Lord with an expectancy, and he prepared the way for the Messiah. And then here comes Jesus. John baptizes him, and all of the people who used to follow John start following Jesus. John spent 30 years in preparation and only six months of successful ministry and then all of his crowds started following Jesus. And the scribes and the Pharisees tried to play on his pride, on his emotion and they came to him and said, have you heard that Jesus is now baptizing more people than you are? Jesus is drawing bigger crowds than you are now. Did you know to a person who is prideful, a person who is promoting self and thinking only about self, that would have found, that would have resonated, resonated with them. It would have struck a chord and it would have caused them through pride to reject and be envious and bitter towards Jesus. And yet John turned around and he says, I am not even worthy to stoop down and unlatch his sandals. He must increase and I must decrease. You know what that is? Humility. Humility is putting God and His kingdom ahead of yourself. And this isn't reserved just to ministers. This is true of all of us. There's people in your jobs, that there's some people that maybe they actually do a better job than you, and yet you're envious, and because of it, you don't like them, and you can't speak peaceably to them and stuff. And the bottom line is, you may not recognize it, but it's really pride. You just, you want the advancement. You don't want them to be advanced. You want to get this, and so because of it, you're jealous and envious. You know what? If you loved the Lord, first of all, but if you love that place that you were working for, if you really wanted the success of that business instead of your own selfish success, you would want whatever. And if somebody else got promoted, fine. And you know, if we were really more concerned about God and His Kingdom and about promoting Him and about seeing other people ministered to than we are about ourselves, I guarantee you, you wouldn't be so frustrated, you wouldn't be envious, you wouldn't have all of these problems. The scripture says we're supposed to die to ourself. If you took a corpse and laid it here in front of me, you can insult a corpse, you can ignore a corpse, you can spit on a corpse, you can kick a corpse, and if it's a corpse, it won't respond. The reason you are responding so much to the criticism, to the things that are happening to you is because you are so alive to yourself. And one of the keys is just dying to yourself. And I know that some of you just, you can't even go there. You won't allow yourself to even go there. You think, if I was to take this attitude that you're talking about, and if I wasn't constantly competing and putting down other people and trying to advance myself, and if I wasn't constantly promoting myself, man, I'd be run smooth over. Nobody would ever recognize me. I'd never have anything. I've got to fight, and I've got to do all these things for myself. You know, that would be true. If there wasn't a God who promised that when you humble yourself, He will exalt you, that He will give grace to the humble, but He will resist the proud. If there wasn't a God who said in Psalms chapter 75, I believe it's verse 6, that promotion doesn't come from the east or from the west or from the south, but it's the Lord that puts up one and sets down another. If there wasn't a God who works behind the scenes and He promotes and exalts people who are out to build up His kingdom and put first the kingdom of God. If there wasn't a God who was like that, well then yes, it's true that man, it is a dog-eat-dog world and you have got to get in and fight for yourself. But I'm telling you there is a God who all of these scriptures that I've been using for over a month, talking about humbling yourself, letting God be the one who avenges you, about seek first the kingdom of God, not your kingdom. And if you will seek first the kingdom of God, then God will add all of these things to you. There is a God who has promised us that when you humble yourself, He will exalt you. And because of that, this attitude that is so prevalent in the world, and sad to say, even in the church, is the wrong attitude. And it stops God. When you get into taking care of yourself, when it's all about you, and you feel like that, God, unless I get in and unless I do this, unless I depend upon myself, unless I do everything on my own, it's not going to get done. God resists that attitude. God resists the proud. But He gives grace unto the humble. Over in the book of Philippians, it's chapter 2. It says that we should esteem others better than ourselves. That doesn't mean that we esteem ourselves badly. Again, I believe that religion has done a disservice and basically what they say is to beat yourself down. This doesn't say to think badly of yourself. It just says to esteem others even higher than you esteem yourself. You know, the scripture that Jesus quoted over in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18 where it says, love your neighbor as yourself. If Some people have been taught to hate themselves and to just have such a terrible uh, you know, attitude towards themselves that if they love their neighbor the way they love themselves, that wouldn't be good. See, religion has taught us to to feel bad about ourselves. That's not what I'm saying. We just need to love others more than we love ourselves. We need to put God first. We need to put others first. And when you do that, when you actually love other people more than you love yourself and you lay your life down and you serve other people, did you know it's actually the way to be advanced. The way up in God's kingdom is down. You humble yourself and God will lift you up. But you lift up yourself and God will resist the proud. But He'll give grace to the humble. Everything is different in God's kingdom from the way that this world's kingdom is set up. And this is what we've been talking about. Only by pride. Only by putting God first, other people ahead of yourself. Only when you do that CAN YOU OVERCOME THIS ANGER? IF YOU ARE PUTTING SELF FIRST, PRIDE, THAT'S THE ONLY THING THAT CAUSES CONTENTION IN YOUR LIFE. SO LET ME JUST TALK ABOUT WHY IT IS THAT IT SEEMS LIKE EVERYBODY IS SO SELF-CENTERED. WHY IS IT THAT EVERYBODY TENDS TO JUST LOOK AT THINGS FROM THEIR OWN PERSPECTIVE. THEY DON'T THINK ABOUT THE BIG PICTURE It's just everything, they got tunnel vision. It's all about themselves. It doesn't matter if the company's prospering by promoting somebody else. Instead of you, all you can think about is, I wanted that position, and because of it, you get upset. Maybe the company's better off to have the other person in that position. Why is it that we look at everything from just a selfish standpoint? I believe it's because that is part of the fallen nature. You can go all the way back to the book of Genesis. And you can look in Genesis chapter 3 and Satan's temptation through that serpent towards Eve is that God is keeping something back from you. He is denying you something. The truth is all that God denied, Adam and Eve, was hurt and heartache and death and sickness and poverty and all of the things that are a result of sins. Yes, He did deny them access to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but it was because they were better off without it. BUT THIS TALKING SNAKE CONVINCED EVE THAT SHE WASN'T GETTING ALL THAT SHE COULD GET, THAT GOD WAS HOLDING BACK, AND IT WAS ALL SELFISHNESS. IF SHE WOULD HAVE JUST HAD AN attitude THAT, YOU KNOW WHAT, GOD IS GOD. I AM NOT. I WAS CREATED BY HIM. HE'S MY CREATOR. AND IT'S NOT MY PLACE TO TAKE HIS PLACE. IT'S NOT MY PLACE TO WRITE THE RULES AND TO SAY WHAT'S GOOD FOR ME. HE CREATED ME. AND YOU KNOW, THE LORD HAD DONE NOTHING BUT BE GOOD TO ADAM AND EVE. HE HAD NEVER TREATED THEM BADLY. I MEAN, THEY WERE LIVING IN A PERFECT WORLD. THE uh, ATMOSPHERE WAS PERFECT. THE CLIMATE WAS PERFECT. THE FOOD WAS PERFECT. THEY NEVER HAD BEEN HURT. THERE WAS NO PROBLEMS IN THE WORLD. GOD CREATED PARADISE FOR THEM. THERE WAS NO REASON FOR THEM to think that God was withholding something good from them. But this talking snake convinced them that God didn't have their self-interest in mind, that He was only thinking about Himself and that they were suffering. And you probably have not looked at it from this standpoint, but the rebellion of Adam and Eve was total self, exalting their will, their attitude, thinking that they would be better off. God is withholding from them. And it was all pride. That caused this. And every person who has been born as a descendant of Adam and Eve were born with this sin nature that it's just all about self. And we love ourselves, we exalt ourself. You know, Jesus, on the other hand, said this is the greatest love, demonstration of love that you can ever have, that a man laid down his life for another. You know, the antithesis, antithesis of pride is love, where you lay your life down and sacrifice your own life, your own good, your own advancement for the sake of another. And there's just not very many people that will do that. Most people today, I guarantee you, it's all about themselves, And that's just wrong. So we were born this way is the point I'm trying to get at. And you just by nature are selfish. It is the fallen human nature. And so what you've got to do is, first of all, you've got to be born again. You need to get a new nature. You need to get God to change that sinful, corrupt nature into a godly person that is like God. You have to receive salvation. First of all, this is one of the great reasons that religion doesn't work true Christianity works, but religion, man's attempt, whether it's called Christian religion or not, if you are just getting in and trying to live better and do better and do all of these things, but you never have your nature changed, you can't give what you haven't received. You've got to first of all humble yourself and recognize you can't save yourself by your own good works and by being a good person, and you've got to receive salvation as a gift. That's the first step. You've got to get this nature changed. But there's a lot of people who are born-again Christians, and they have a new nature on the inside of them, but they've never renewed their minds. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When you get born again in your spirit, you now have the life of God, and you do have a humble nature. You do have a nature that is identical to Jesus. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17 says, As He is, so are we in this world. Not so are we in the next world, but so are we in this world. That's not true in your physical body. It's not true in your mind, and your emotions. But in your born-again spirit, you do have this humble nature. You do have the Spirit of Christ on the inside of you. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus said, I'm meek and lowly in heart. Whether you know it or not, you are meek and lowly in heart in your born-again spirit. If you have received salvation, God has put love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance on the inside of you. Galatians 5, and 23. That's who you are. But you have to renew your mind. You are going to function the way that you think. If you've been born again, your nature's been changed, but your mind isn't automatically changed. You have to renew your mind and that's what it was saying in Romans chapter 12 verse 2. Don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The way you experience transformation or that word is metamorpho, it's the word we get metamorphosis from where a worm spins a cocoon and then comes, or excuse me, not a worm but a caterpillar spins a cocoon and comes out a butterfly. If you want total metamorphosis, transformation, it comes through the renewing of your mind. Your spirit's already changed, but you, it'll only flow out into your physical body through you to other people to the degree that you renew your mind. Your mind is kind of like a valve. It's like a, a pipe right here, and in your spirit, you've got this pure life, humility, goodness of God, but your mind is a valve, and if this mind is focused on things the way the world is if you're just operating according to your fallen human nature and you are acting like everybody else where it's all about you and you're promoting yourself and feeling like if you don't advance yourself and fight for yourself nobody else will if you're thinking that way it's just like turning a valve and you can stop the flow of God's life right there at that valve and it'll never get out here and flow through your body but you can begin to renew your mind And you can begin to recognize some of the things that we're talking about, that God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble, that God will defend you. Vengeance is His, thus saith the Lord. He will repay. You don't have to repay yourself. That if you will humble yourself and serve people, not only the good, but even those that are perverse, and if you will do it as unto the Lord and not man-pleasers, Ephesians chapter 6 says you will receive from God. God can be your source. You don't have to depend upon man. It's not just natural and physical. There are spiritual things going on. See, when you begin to humble yourself, you cast all of your care upon the Lord and you do all of these things, then God begins to start flowing through you. This valve, your mind changes, and this humility starts flowing through you. Man, those are powerful things that I'm saying. I just pray that God gives you revelation of this. You know, I've got a teaching on spirit, soul, and body that I was referring, some of those things I was saying refers directly back to that. And it would really, really help you. As a matter of fact, recently we even had a uh, person come out and do a, a little caricature, an illustration of spirit, soul, and body, and illustrate some of these things. And I tell you, it would go along perfectly with what I've said. You can go to our website and find that. But anyway, humility is something that is against our sinful nature. It's consistent with our born-again nature, but the problem is we haven't renewed our mind. And we are constantly being inundated with these attitudes and values that violate God's kind of humility. And we are told that we have to promote ourselves, defend ourselves. It's all about ourselves. Take care of ourselves. And we have to go out of our way to renew ourselves. You were born selfish. I don't know if you've ever looked at it this way, but you know, when a little baby is born, we talk about how sweet and how innocent and how pure they are. But they are selfish. That baby doesn't care that the mother was up all night long giving birth, that she needs time to sleep and recover. Man, the baby doesn't care. The baby will wake everybody up in the middle of the night. You can bring a baby into a church service and that baby doesn't, doesn't care that anybody else is there trying to hear from God and receive from God. That baby will throw a fit. That baby will cry. That baby didn't, doesn't know that anybody else in the universe exists. And you know what? When you're a week old, that's understandable. But the problem is, is when you're 30 years old and 40 years old, and 50 years old, and you still don't know that there's anybody, that nobody else matters. It's all about you. And many people wouldn't say it this way, but did you know what? There are a lot of adult temper tantrums. Just like a little kid will throw themselves on the floor and scream and cry and yell and just throw a fit hoping that they will get what they want there are some 40, 50, 60-year-old adult brats that you, might, you know, might phrase it some other way. You've now become sophisticated and you can say the reason I'm acting this way is because this person did this and you, we've learned how to the blame game and how to pass the blame to other people. But the bottom line is you're throwing an adult temper tantrum. It's just all about you. You know, when you were little... You might have, I've seen this happen. I've seen people in grocery stores where a little kid wanted some candy or something, and the mother said, No, you'd ruin your supper, you aren't going to get it. And the kid will just throw themselves on the floor and cry and scream and make a scene. And because most parents are themselves self centered and only thinking about themselves and not doing what's best for the child, it's too much effort to stop, to maybe take the child out of the car and to sit them down and talk to them or spank them or to tell them, no, you are not going to behave like this in public. Instead of doing what's best for the child, most parents are themselves self-centered and they're thinking, what's everybody going to think about me? And they're looking at this brat and it's bothering people and so many parents will just give the child whatever they wanted, even though they know that that wasn't what they needed They will do it because they don't want other people criticizing them. And you know what you did? You just reinforced that selfishness. It's actually the job of a parent to teach a child that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. That it's not about you. It's not about you getting everything. But yet, most parents, because again, we are self-centered and we don't always do what's best for the child. We do what's easiest on us. We will just reward this self-centeredness and in a sense, reinforce it and teach that child that, you know what, if you are willing to make a big enough fool of yourself and throw a big enough temper tantrum, you can get your way. And we reinforce selfishness that's the exact opposite of what we should be doing and so then here they are 20 30 40 years old and you know what they're still they still got the same attitude it's just all about themselves i'm telling you all marriage problems i don't know if that's accurate but let me say most nearly all marriage problems could be solved if you just had people that weren't all about themselves if they love their mate more than they love themselves it would resolve, I believe, most marriage problems. And that's not to say that the other person doesn't do things wrong and doesn't need to change. But if you operated in God's kind of love where you were constantly just honoring and blessing that other person and you esteem them higher than yourself, did you know most people respond positively to that? I know some people that, man, they just walk in love and people will do anything for them. AND PEOPLE CAN'T UNDERSTAND HOW IT HAPPENS, BUT IT'S BECAUSE WHEN YOU GIVE THAT KIND OF LOVE, IT SOLICITS THAT SAME RESPONSE BACK. BUT ON THE CONTRARY, WHEN YOU OPERATE IN BITTERNESS, WHEN YOU ARE ANGRY, WHEN YOU'RE CRITICAL, WHEN YOU'RE DEMANDING, IT MAKES PEOPLE WANT TO PUSH YOU AWAY. REALLY, ALL OF OUR PROBLEMS COME THROUGH SELFISHNESS, AND THE REASON WE ARE SELFISH IS BECAUSE WE WERE BORN THAT WAY. AND IT IS A LIFELONG PROCESS To train ourselves and renew our mind and get us out of where we are promoting ourselves. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. It's the Word of God that's gonna renew our mind and get us out of this selfishness. And I tell you, I'm just driving this point home, trying to say that we need to quit glorifying ourselves, depending upon ourselves, trusting in ourselves. We need to start honoring God and other people. We need to humble ourselves. And if we would do that, God would exalt us. God would promote us. But we are born selfish. It's not going to happen naturally. This is contrary to everything you feel. I guarantee you there's so many times. I've not been an angry person. I've never been the type of person that had a temper. Matter of fact, I had my children one time tell me that they never had seen me angry in their entire life. And I don't know that that's accurate, but anyway, that was their perception and stuff. I just don't get angry. But you know what I do? I'll pout. I'll sit there and I'll internalize things. And I'll sit there and I don't lash out. Praise God uh, for that. But it's not really that much better to sit there and just stew on the inside and let things fester. Both of those are expressions of pride. You're just thinking about yourself. And the antidote to it is you've got to renew your mind by the Word of God and learn to humble yourself. It's a process. You know, you can see this in Jesus. Jesus was being crucified. He was mocked. He had His beard plucked out. He was beaten. He had a crown of thorns put on. They mocked Him and said, If you're the Christ, come down. I mean, every button that you could possibly push IN A PERSON WAS PUSHED IN JESUS. AND YET JESUS TURNED AROUND AND SAID, FATHER, FORGIVE THEM FOR THEY KNOW NOT WHAT THEY DO. INSTEAD OF RESPONDING IN ANGER. I TELL YOU, JESUS WAS GOD MANIFEST IN THE FLESH. IF HE HAD JUST OPERATED IN ANGER AND GIVEN PEOPLE WHAT THEY DESERVED, HE COULD HAVE DESTROYED THE ENTIRE HUMAN RACE, THE PLANET. I MEAN, HE COULD HAVE RELEASED HIS POWER. HE COULD HAVE KILLED ALL OF THOSE PEOPLE WHO WERE MOCKING HIM AND DOING THESE THINGS TO HIM. And instead, He prayed for them. And some people think, well, that was Jesus, and I'm not Jesus. Well, that's really not a good excuse. The truth is, we have the Spirit of Christ on the inside of us. If you've been born again, you are a new creature, and you have His life on the inside of you, and we can act like Him. Jesus Himself said in John chapter 14, verse 12, Verily, verily, that means truly, truly, And the reason he had to start it with those two words, truly, truly, was because this is nearly too good to believe. Who could believe that this could happen? But he said, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. It's a cop-out. It's an excuse to say, well, I'm not like Jesus. I can't act like Him. We can act like Him. We have His life on the inside of us. But even putting all of those things aside, which I believe that with my whole heart, You can look in the seventh chapter of the book of Acts and you can find Stephen, the very first Christian who was martyred after the resurrection of Jesus. He was stoned to death. And as he was stoned to death, he said, Father, lay not this sin to their charge. So here is a physical man just like you and me with a fallen nature who had gotten born again. And he was able to think of other people and pray for the people who were stoning him to death. You can live this way. You can overcome anger and strife. It's only through pride what's on the inside of you that causes you to respond in anger. And if you deal with yourself and if you deal with this pride, then you can overcome anger in your life. You do not have to be a bitter, angry person. You do not have to have unforgiveness in your life regardless of what people do. Some people are praying that God will just touch everybody out there so that they don't have to have any unforgiveness because nobody's ever doing them wrong. That's never going to happen. You're always going to be abused. Something's going to happen. Something will happen. A self-centered person is like having an addiction to dope. People that are addicted to dope, you know, they never get satisfied with the same amount that they had before. They have to keep increasing it. It has to be higher and higher dosage. It's an addiction. It is impossible to satisfy. It's impossible to satisfy self. There are some of you that live in a home that is infinitely better than your parents or grandparents. You have nicer cars. You have nicer things. You have all of this stuff and you know what? You thought if I could just have a little bit more than this and you've got, now you've got all of these things and you still aren't satisfied. There are some of you that are multi-millionaires. There are some of you that are very, very famous. There are some of you that have everything going for you and you still aren't satisfied because it's all about self. Self is like a dope addiction. Whatever you get, you got to get more. It's impossible to satisfy self. The only thing you can do to self is deny it. And you have to put down yourself and exalt others and live for God and other people more than you live for yourself. And only then will you ever be truly satisfied. You know, I've used this example many times, but this really touched my life. And it's just the best way I have of expressing it. But I was in Vietnam when they walked on the moon. And so I actually missed the moon, um, you know, the Apollo programs and the walking on the moon, and I wasn't able to see those things, and I just missed out on all of that. So I've always been interested and would like to learn more about it. And one time I was on a television program with James Irwin, one of the astronauts who actually walked on the moon, and he had a book that he had written about it. I gave him my books and signed them. He gave me his books and signed them, and I just started pumping this guy for information and asking him questions about how did it work. And I had the concept that it was just perfect, that they had so much technology and that that it was so well thought out that they just went there perfectly. He began to explain to me that they actually threw that capsule towards the moon. And for four and a half days or whatever period of time it was, they had a course correction every 10 minutes. And he said sometimes like the moon was that direction, they would be going 90 degrees opposite the moon and they would have to have a huge course correction. Other times it'd just be a fraction of a degree off. But the truth is that they had a course correction every 10 minutes. That capsule went to the moon like this. It wasn't just perfect. And then he told me that they had a 500 mile strip that they planned to land in. And when they landed and he got out of the lunar module and set foot on the moon, they were within five feet of missing that 500-mile-long strip. And as he was explaining these things to me, it just dawned on me that, you know what? They didn't do it perfectly. It wasn't perfect. They had to have course corrections every 10 minutes, but they got there. And the Lord spoke to me and made this comparison and said it's the same thing. When you deal with this self, you don't just, you know, see this truth that, oh man, I've been selfish. I was born selfish. And you don't just one time see that and repent and make a decision and then boom, you're never selfish again. No, that's not the way it is. You just head in that direction of humility. And then every 10 minutes for the rest of your life, you're going to have a course correction. You know, the Lord really started this process in me, March the 23rd, 1968. And I mean, I humbled myself before the Lord and it began a process. That's when I blasted off and headed in that direction. But I have had millions of course corrections. And it doesn't mean that if I ever find myself getting selfish and prideful and thinking only about myself, that I didn't make a real commitment back on March the 23rd, 1968. No, I committed myself to humbling myself before God, giving God all of the glory. I died to myself with everything I knew at that time. But you know what? Self is still here and I have to deal with it. It's a process and I make these course corrections. You don't just deal with self one time and you nail it and then you never have a problem with self again. That's not the way that it works. I've had people come up to me after I teach on this humility and talk about humbling yourself and exalting God and other people. And I've had people come and say, would you please just cast self out on me? I've had people ask for prayer that I could cast self out of them. You can't do that. The only way you can be delivered of self is for me to kill you. And then you go to be with the Lord and you'll have a glorified self. You won't have this. Uh, tendency with the flesh anymore, and then everything's going to be perfect. But short of killing you, I can't get you rid of self. As long as you are breathing, you have this tendency to just exalt and promote yourself. And so it's not something that you just deal with one time and it's over. It's just like going to the moon. It was a course correction every 10 minutes. You know, I had the Lord show up, and I made a decision to put to live for God and give Him everything I've got, March the 23rd, 1968. But since then, I've had millions of course corrections where I recognize, and I don't even do it intentionally. It's just It seems like it's nearly a default thing that you just start thinking only about yourself and you forget about other people and where they're coming from and all this kind of stuff. And there's times that I've realized this and when I realize it, I don't sit there and say, Oh God, I failed in my commitment. No, Mike. I'm committed to putting God first and other people ahead of myself. That is my absolute commitment. But do I keep it all the time? No, I constantly fall short just because I'm human, just because I have flesh. And when I find myself short, I don't go back and start over again. I just make a course correction. Just like I was talking about that Apollo capsule. You know, just because they were off course didn't mean that they aborted the whole mission and then start over and try and do it again. No, they just made a course correction and they kept correcting until they eventually got there. You know what? Nobody is ever going to live perfectly humble. But you can head in that direction. You can blast off and go that direction. Just going back to this Apollo mission, you know, you have to make course corrections, but there is a place where you blast off. There's a lot of people that you have been so influenced by the world and just our carnal flesh that self is absolutely in control. It's all about you. You love yourself infinitely more than you love God or anybody else. And this is just so radically different than anything that you've ever heard that you know what, you've never even blasted off. You've never even humbled yourself. You've never even begun the process You have thought that it's everybody else that's the problem. You are mad at everybody else, sometimes even God. God is, God, why haven't you done this and that? And you haven't recognized that it's yourself. There's some of you that this is a brand new revelation to you. And you know what? You need to blast off. You need to move in that direction. But I'm telling you, it's a process. And if you were to respond to this perfectly today, if the Holy Spirit touches you right where you are, And you were to just, you know, drop to your knees and, oh God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I have exalted myself and I've been blaming other people and using this as an excuse and it's just me. And if you humbled yourself today, it's not going to be a perfect thing that you'll never have another problem with self. You'll have to continue this again tomorrow. You know, in my meetings, I often minister on this and then I'll have people pray and we'll I'll lead them in a prayer where they just humble themselves and put God and other people first. And then after I pray, I'll say, you know what? You're going to need a course correction every 10 minutes for the rest of your life. And I'll tell them that somebody will want to go back there and get this book. And the last book, somebody else will take it. And you've got an opportunity right there to say, well, you know what? You go first. I can... Get it online or whatever. There's going to be some of you that pull out into the parking lot and somebody's going to pull in front of you and there's going to be an opportunity for you to sit there and think, well, what about me? They took this place. I should have been there. This person promoted themselves. And it's an opportunity for you to humble yourself. And you're just going to have things like this happen to you the rest of your life. It doesn't mean that you didn't truly make a commitment. It just means that it's a process. You know, if the Lord would have shown me everything that I needed to deal with in my entire life, all of my wrong attitudes and everything, if He had shown me every single thing, March the 23rd, 1968, when I had this encounter with the Lord, it would have overwhelmed me. I don't know that I could have overcome it. I would have been so overwhelmed with my with how messed up I am and how many problems I've got. But praise God, He just shows things to me one step at a time. And it's going to be the same with you. God will show you things, but you have to make this commitment. Let me go back to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. These are the scriptures that the Lord used to change my life. They're the very first scriptures that ever just came alive. You know, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, the Word of God is quick. That means alive and powerful and sharper than any 2 edged sword. And the Word, the first scriptures that ever just came alive and transformed my life is Romans 12 1 and 2. And Romans 12 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your body a living sacrifice holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That verse says we are supposed to be a living sacrifice. And it says this is our reasonable service. Some people think, well, only you preachers are supposed to be total sacrifices. You know, all of us laity, we just commit to God much less than you do, but that's your vocation. This is what you do for a living. You give yourself totally to God. No, every person... It's supposed to be given totally to God. And some people he may put into the ministry. Some people he may make uh, business people, other people. You're a a mother. You're training up your children. You're a wife to your husband. Man, that's a powerful job. That's an awesome thing to do. We all have different callings, but every one of us, I don't care whether you consider yourself a full-time Christian or not, YOU ARE SUPPOSED TO BE A LIVING SACRIFICE. THAT'S JUST OUR REASONABLE SERVICE. ONE TRANSLATION SAYS OUR NORMAL CHRISTIAN DUTY. THIS ISN'T FOR THE SUPER SAINT. THIS IS FOR THE JANE DOE AND JOHN DOE CHRISTIAN. YOU'RE JUST SUPPOSED TO BE TOTALLY COMMITTED TO GOD. AND NOTICE IT SAYS THAT YOU'RE A LIVING SACRIFICE. You know, that means many things, but one of the things that that means is that you don't just crawl up on the altar one time and die and you sacrifice yourself to God and it's over. It's a living sacrifice. It is a continual thing. You know, it's, it, a lot of people make mistake dieting BECAUSE THEY WILL GO ON THESE RADICAL, EXTREME DIETS. THEY WILL PUNISH themselves, DENY themselves, BUT THEY ONLY DO IT FOR A BRIEF PERIOD OF TIME. AND THEN WHEN THE DIET IS OVER, BOOM, THEY'RE RIGHT BACK TO WHERE THEY WERE, AND THEIR BODY REACTS TO THAT, AND THEY ACTUALLY GAIN MORE WEIGHT THAN THEY HAD. TRUE, A PERSON THAT'S GOING TO REALLY CONTROL THEIR WEIGHT IS A PERSON THAT JUST FOR THE REST OF YOUR LIFE, NOT JUST FOR A DAY OR A WEEK OR A MONTH OR WHATEVER, BUT FOR THE REST OF YOUR LIFE, YOU'RE GOING TO EAT RIGHT, YOU'RE GOING TO EXERCISE RIGHT. And that's the way that you really do it. Likewise, you don't need to just make a sacrifice and come to the Lord and come to grips with self one time. It needs to be a living sacrifice, something that you live the rest of your life, that you keep this attitude. And there will be times that you're more focused on it than at others. There will be times that because of the weakness of our flesh, we falter and we fail and we aren't as committed to God as we should be. BUT IT NEEDS TO BE A LIVING SACRIFICE. AND THE PROBLEM WITH A LIVING SACRIFICE IS IT KEEPS CRAWLING OFF THE ALTAR. YOU'VE GOT TO KEEP THIS SACRIFICE. IT HAS TO BE A COMMITMENT THAT YOU MAKE CONSTANTLY. YOU KNOW, AGAIN, GOING BACK TO MARCH THE 23rd, 1968, THAT HAS NOW BEEN 48 YEARS AGO THAT I MADE THIS COMMITMENT TO GOD AND I blasted OFF AND I HEADED IN THIS DIRECTION. BUT DID YOU KNOW, AS I'VE BEEN TEACHING ON HUMILITY, I HAVE GONE BACK OVER THIS, AND MAN, I HAVE RENEWED MYSELF. I'M NOT REDEDICATING MYSELF. IF YOU TRULY ARE DEDICATED, YOU CAN'T REDEDICATE IT. THERE IS NO SUCH WORD AS REDEDICATE. IF IT'S DEDICATED, IT'S DEDICATED. IF IT'S COMMITTED, IT'S COMMITTED. BUT I FAIL IN MY DEDICATION. I FAIL IN MY COMMITMENT. I AM NOT PERFECT. AND IT HAS INSPIRED ME AND MOTIVATED ME ALL OVER AGAIN, GOING BACK THROUGH THIS TEACHING. AND HERE I AM 48 YEARS down the road from when I begin this process. And you know what? I'm still making course corrections and I'm still having to do things. I've never done it perfectly. I've never done anything perfectly in my life. But I can truthfully say that it has been my number one goal and commitment to love God and other people and fulfill God's purpose for my life ahead of everything else. That has been my number one goal, my commitment for 48 years. I HAVEN'T DONE IT PERFECTLY, I have FAILED, I'M STILL FAILING, BUT YOU KNOW WHAT, I'M DOING IT BETTER THAN I'VE DONE, I'M GETTING BETTER, THE COURSE CORRECTIONS ARE LESS, I'M GETTING CLOSER, BUT AS LONG AS I'M BREATHING and IN THIS BODY, I EXPECT TO STILL HAVE TO BE DEALING WITH SELF. AND I'M SAYING ALL OF THESE THINGS FOR YOUR BENEFIT, THAT HOPEFULLY MANY OF YOU HAVE BEEN TOUCHED THROUGH THIS TEACHING ON HUMILITY. And you've recognized that, man, you have used excuses about this is your personality type. This is just the way your family is. You've, you've said it's their fault and I'm this way and all of these things. Hopefully, there's many of you recognizing, no, it's not any of these external things. It's pride in us that causes us all of this grief. All of our sorrows are basically caused by our own self-centeredness and hopefully many of you are recognizing that, and if you respond and receive these teachings and humble yourself before God, regardless of what type of encounter you have with the Lord right now, it's not going to be just a one-time deal. You are going to have to walk this out. It needs to be something that you need to change, and it's not easy to change things that have been in your life for decades. I'm not trying to discourage you. What I'm trying to do is encourage you that if you make this commitment with your whole heart, you'll find out that there are times that you fail in this. And it doesn't mean that it wasn't your commitment. It just means that you're still human, that you still have flesh, that you have to renew your mind. Matter of fact, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, that verse that I quoted about being a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service, then verse 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Romans 12:1 talks about being a living sacrifice, but then twelve two talks about renewing your mind. It's a process. You make the commitment, you blast off, you head in this direction, but then you need to renew your mind constantly and notice that the last part of that verse 2 says, you will prove the good, then the acceptable, and then the perfect will of God. There's steps, there's stages, there's growth. You don't just go from zero miles an hour to a thousand miles an hour all at once. That's not acceleration, that's a wreck. If you went from zero to a thousand all at once, it'd kill you. YOU KNOW WHAT? YOU HAVE TO ACCELERATE. AND YOU START OFF SLOWER AT THE BEGINNING AND YOU PICK UP SPEED. LIKEWISE IN THE CHRISTIAN LIFE, YOU MAKE A COMMITMENT THAT, GOD, I WANT YOU TO BE FIRST IN MY LIFE. I WANT TO HUMBLE MYSELF. I WANT IT TO NOT BE ALL ABOUT ME. I WANT TO LOVE YOU AND YOUR PURPOSE FOR MY LIFE AND OTHER PEOPLE MORE THAN I LOVE MYSELF. I WANT TO LAY MY LIFE DOWN FOR YOU AND FOR OTHER PEOPLE. YOU MAKE THAT COMMITMENT. BUT YOU KNOW WHAT? YOU START OFF SLOW. And as you continue and you just continue to make these course corrections, every time God shows you, hey, you know, this is, vi- this is violating your commitment that you made. This is contrary to what you said. Here you are exalting yourself. You're getting into anger again. You're criticizing, judging this person again. He'll show you and you humble yourself and you just go back and say, Father, I'm sorry. I really meant what I said. I'm sorry I got off track. And you do that. You will start off and it'll, it may be, huge corrections in the beginning. But as you continue down this road, it'll get less and less. You'll get closer and closer. But it's a process. You never arrive. You just leave. But I am convinced that there are some people watching this program that you've never left. You have just followed the way that the rest of the world, the way that your parents, the way that everybody else around you is, and it's just all about you. Man, you think only about yourself. YOU ARE JUST ALL WRAPPED UP IN YOURSELF AND YOU MAKE A VERY SMALL PACKAGE. YOU KNOW, IF THAT'S YOU AND IF YOU HAVE NEVER EVEN... IF THIS IS A REVELATION BRAND NEW TO YOU AND YOU'VE NEVER STARTED DOWN THIS ROAD, I JUST WANT TO PRAY WITH YOU TODAY AND HELP YOU TO MAKE THIS COMMITMENT. I'M GOING TO PRAY AND SAY SOME THINGS THAT ARE THINGS THAT I SAID WHEN THE LORD TOUCHED ME 48 YEARS AGO. AND YOU NEED TO INTERNALIZE THIS, MAKE IT PERSONAL, MAKE IT YOURSELF. BUT YOU NEED TO JUST COME BEFORE THE LORD. AND LIKE ROMANS 12, 1 SAYS, SAY SOMETHING LIKE, FATHER, I'M PRESENTING MYSELF TO YOU AS A LIVING SACRIFICE. I'M CRAWLING UP ON THE ALTAR. I CAN'T... I CAN'T OVERCOME SELF ON MY OWN. I NEED THE FIRE OF GOD TO FALL ON THIS SACRIFICE AND CONSUME IT. SO I JUST LAY MYSELF OUT BEFORE YOU. AND I'M ASKING YOU, FATHER, TO COME AND CONSUME ME, TO CONSUME THIS SELF. GET ME TO WHERE I LOVE YOU, first, uh, FIRST OF ALL, FOREMOST, ABOVE ANYTHING ELSE. AND THEN TO WHERE I LOVE YOUR PEOPLE. AND I LOVE OTHER PEOPLE MORE THAN I LOVE MYSELF. THAT I LOVE FULFILLING YOUR WILL AND NOT DOING MY WILL. FATHER, I JUST DIE TO MYSELF. AND I PUT YOU FIRST. AND I WANT YOUR WILL IN MY LIFE. And you begin to start praying like that and just turning yourself over. And the Holy Spirit, if you will allow Him, will come in and He will energize your prayer. He will help you. You know, it's kind of like if you were standing in a mud puddle and you tried to clean off your feet. Did you know you could clean off one foot by standing there on just one foot? But then when you get one foot clean, you'd have to put that... Foot back down in the mud to clean off the other one. You just can't do it on your own. You have to have someone lift you out of that, put you in a position to where, you know, you can clean off your feet. Likewise, you just can't die to yourself on your own. You have to start the process, you have to start praying, tell the Lord it's your desire, and then the Holy Spirit has to come and lift you out of this and get you. LIFT YOU UP TO A HIGHER REALM TO WHERE YOU CAN LIVE FOR GOD AND OTHER PEOPLE MORE THAN YOU LIVE FOR YOURSELF. THIS IS NOT JUST DIFFICULT, IT'S IMPOSSIBLE. IT'S IMPOSSIBLE IN THE NATURAL FOR YOU TO LIVE A LIFE THAT IS HUMBLE, WHERE GOD AND OTHER PEOPLE ARE AHEAD OF YOURSELF. YOU NEED THE QUICKENING POWER OF THE HOLY SPIRIT. AND SO I ENCOURAGE YOU TODAY TO START PRAYING SIMILAR TO SOME OF THE THINGS THAT I'VE SAID. ASK FOR THE HOLY SPIRIT JUST TO COME IN AND TOUCH YOUR LIFE. And you know, if there's any of you that don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which includes many things, but it includes speaking in tongues, we have people on our phones that would be glad to pray with you. And all of them have this baptism of the Holy Spirit. All of them have begun this process that I've been talking about, about humility. None of us have arrived, but we would love to pray with you. So please call the number.